Welcome to Law in the Family, a production of the Pennsylvania Bar Association Family Law Section, providing insights for lawyers about the practice of family law in Pennsylvania. The information shared during this podcast is for general information purposes only. Nothing in this podcast should be taken as legal advice for any individual case or situation. This information is not intended to create, and receipt or listening does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. The opinions expressed are those of the hosts and the podcast guests, and don't necessarily represent those of the Pennsylvania Bar Association. Hello, and welcome to Law and the Family podcast. I'm Aaron Weems, a family law attorney with Fox Rothschild in Montgomery County. Being an attorney means having responsibilities to not only your clients and coworkers, but to the practice of law in general. One of the ways that responsibility is expressed is through contributing your knowledge and expertise to those who can't afford legal services. Pro bono work is a foundational aspect of practicing law in Pennsylvania, and even the smallest of efforts contribute to our legal system being more effective and equitable for all those individuals who avail themselves of it. Today, I'm going to be talking with two individuals who are working to bridge the problem between access to justice, technology, and appellate work. To talk more about a unique pro bono project that is merging technology with pro se custody cases in Allegheny County is Catherine Norton and Morgan Gray. Caton is an assistant professor at Duquesne University School of Law and runs their family law clinic. Morgan is an adjunct professor at Duquesne School of Law and teaches programming for lawyers. Welcome to the podcast, and that brief introduction does not do justice to your backgrounds or experience, so please take a moment to introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So I'm Kate Norton. Currently, I am a professor at the Thomas R. Klein School of Law of Duquesne University. But prior to that, I was in private practice working in family law for years. I'm not going to say how long. Someone can go look that one up. But part of my work, you know, I do supervise our family law clinic. Under my supervision, my students are helping low-income individuals deal with issues relating to child custody, child support, um, divorce matters, domestic violence-related issues, you know, on a daily basis. And through this work and over time, we've really discovered some of the issues and hurdles that low-income individuals face when trying to act the court. So through that work and over time in my time at the university, I've been spending time doing research on issues related to access to justice and how how we help those issues and address those issues. So one of the things that I've been working on lately is um, how technology interplays with that. And, and that's kind of where this project was born. And I met Morgan through actually, I was one of his professors, and I won't admit how long ago that was either. So I'll turn it over to Morgan. He can explain a little bit more about himself. Yeah, so uh, Kate was a former uh, professor of mine, and she's been so gracious throughout my career to uh, keep up with me, and we keep working together, which has been a pleasure. I graduated from law school not too long ago, coming up on three years, and um, I really didn't go into practice for that long. I clerked for two years, and then I'm currently pursuing my um, doctorate in intelligent systems from the University of Pittsburgh. It's rather, I know a perhaps an unusual path for a lawyer to go to machine learning and artificial intelligence. I sort of took up that research when I was in law school and got really interested in it. And luckily, right next door to Duquesne at Pitt, um, there's a world-renowned program with an interdisciplinary focus on uh, machine learning, a number of other fields, law being one of them. My main area of research has to do with legal text analytics and how Text analytics can be used to assist in automatic decision-making for lawyers. And aside from that, um, another passion that I have is access to justice. And so I think a natural analog 
between technology and law is that we should try to use it as well as we can to help perhaps pro se individuals. And that's how Kate and I came to work on this project with both that interest in uh, access to justice and how we might better that through technology. So I heard about this project probably in January of this year. So this has been a little bit of a long time coming. And I'm actually glad, uh, based upon our past conversations, that this project has had more time to evolve. Because what I found interesting when I first heard about it was we were coming out of the pandemic. A lot of things have been on Zoom. A lot of technology had been quickly integrated into our court system. And one of the things that came up in the discussions that we had, at least out where I practice oftentimes in Montgomery County, was Zoom and video conferencing is great, but we can't assume that everybody has access to that all the time. And when I heard about your project and trying to bridge the gap of both a technological gap, but also in trying to utilize technology to help pro se cases and make it available to them for, in particular, custody cases, I thought that was a really interesting project. So what I'd like to hear about from you guys is a little bit about that project, what the genesis of it was, and what need you hope to fulfill in the legal system through your efforts. Yeah, sure. So I guess taking a, a little bit of a step back is first to understand what the problem is. And because we saw a lot of things through the pandemic as well, you know, there, as you mentioned, there's a there's a pretty significant tech divide still not only in Pennsylvania, but in the country in general. Access to justice, when you think about it, really kind of comes down to who's representing themselves in the the process. And there's something like 75% of cases in civil in the civil legal system. So that's all of civil cases has at least one unrepresented party. And when you deal with family law, that goes up to like 80-90% where there's one party who's unrepresented and usually that unrepresented party is of low income given our poverty guidelines in the United States. So when you take that combination, you start to realize that okay, there's there's a lot of hurdles they face, you know, not only the legal and um, substantive law, the procedural law issues, but then also, you know, do they have the finances to get a bus to go downtown to, you know, a courthouse? Or, you know, can they afford to take a day off from work and childcare? And so then through the pandemic, we saw, okay, we switched to Zoom, right? We switched to these video conferencing. It's got to be easier for people because they can do it from their home. But then you realize, oh, wait a second, not everyone has reliable internet, not everyone has reliable uh, technology. I think one thing that came up for us during the pandemic initially is um, our clients were finding that they needed to print and scan documents to get them back to the courthouse, which they didn't have a printer or a scanner or even Adobe. So like they couldn't even open these documents and we were able to fill that gap, but who knows where that gap is elsewhere. So, you know, as Morgan and I were talking about this and this project's been long coming because there is an existing pro bono um, project in Allegheny County to help low income individuals with custody appeals, but it wasn't often utilized. So we got together and it's like, how can we, how can we get this into something that's regularly utilized, but also easier for individuals who, who have access issues. So that was where the kind of project was born from. And I guess I should probably tell you guys what the project is, <laughs> is we are uh, working on creating a, we were able to receive a, an American Bar Endowment Opportunity Grant to help us create a computer program that will allow individuals to input the information to create an application to get into a pro bono program in Allegheny County where it will, where the program partners the low income individual with a lawyer that will do the brief and take an entire custody appeal up to the superior court. And it not only does that application, but also creates the fee waiver, a draft of the notice of appeal and a draft of the concise statement because with custody appeals in Pennsylvania, they're on a shortened timeline. 
So time is really of the essence and you have to file that concise statement immediately with the, the notice of appeal. So one thing we were finding with the existing program, which was a paper application, and the paper application just had open-ended questions like, hey, what do you think went wrong at the trial court level? The litigants weren't explaining it particularly well. My favorite, because I, I used to review these as well as my favorite would be like, well, the judge didn't like me. And I know they didn't like me because they didn't let me talk. It was obviously much more complicated than that. But with the application and the short timeline, if that's the application that the program's getting in, they're not necessarily able to take it because that's not a meritorious claim for appeal. So a lot of people just weren't using the program because they couldn't explain their legal issue well or the timetable was just too too tight. They wouldn't come in to try to seek entry into the program until the 29th day and the appeal had to be filed on the 30th day. So we're hoping that through this grant and the work that we've been working on so far that we're able to kind of streamline that process, ask the right questions and, and non-legal terms to, to help individuals get into the program as well as kind of create those initiating documents for the volunteer attorney so they can, can just take the case and run with it without having to do all that background uh, research first. So you're really trying to kill multiple birds with one stone. You're, you're talking about a notice to the party that this program exists, being able to distill what happened into, to articulate in a way that it could actually raise a, a claim that has merit and could be heard by the appellate court, and also doing it all within the relatively short time frame that it takes to file your notice of appeal, get the fast track custody appeal going to the superior court. So really trying to make this a, a all under one roof type of process for the pro se litigant. Yeah, that sums it up. And then Morgan, I mean, that, that sounds like a lot of technology and it sounds like a lot of, of trying to find a way to really translate a lot of technological hurdles and also legal hurdles into a way in which it can be digestible to the layperson. Yeah. So really, I think what this comes down to is that often when you have limited resources as say like a pro bono center or um, you know anything like that who's trying to help out pro se individuals, time is probably your most valuable resource. And of course, time is the most costly. And uh, my method behind this was to take a look at the process as it existed. And as Kate indicated, we really focused on how we could take a lot of the procedures that were overlapping. I noticed a lot of duplicative work, a lot of redundancies, a lot of stuff where I'm seeing like we are wasting the same amount of time on the same amount of things three or four times. It's not really efficient. We only have limited resources. And I think the community and the clients would be best served by getting this process sped up. So coming from a legal background into technology, I take a know thy problem approach first, rather than thinking about the most technologically advanced method that I can use. I was just telling my students on Monday, you know, after we, we learn how to program and we learn how to do the math and, you know, we learn machine learning and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I really believe that the, the key to being successful in that area is to know thy problem, know thy problem, know thy problem. And when I say like know thy problem, it's the underlying issue that you are trying to address. So in my mind, perhaps one of the worst things I think you could do is come into something and say, I'm going to use the most advanced method, and that's just what I'm going to use. I'm going to use a neural network deep learner, and I'm going to pay for the most expensive one, and you know that's how I'm going to handle this problem. You have access to a Ferrari. You might as well drive it on every single road that you can drive it on. 
Exactly. And I find sometimes it's the it's the reliable sedan is what you need. So my approach here was to look at the things that we were trying to accomplish and how can we use not entirely basic, but technology that you really wouldn't have to have somebody with a specialist area like machine learning. How do we implement that to help these individuals and speed things along? And so using um, like clever thinking and looking at processes that overlap, we've really been able to come up with a program that took, I think, seven or eight distinct processes that we had coming in here, and we boiled them down to two. We got it to an input phase and sort of like the output phase, I think, is how I might describe it. That output phase being the part where it actually goes out to the pro bono attorney. Yes. So for the input phase, the first thing that we had discussed, and we discussed this for about a month, is if we're going to ask somebody who's not a lawyer questions, how are we going to ask them in such a way that when they see what they're being asked, that they won't feel tempted to just throw their hands up? I don't know what this means. This is too complicated. Even the questions you're asking, I don't know how to answer them. And, you know, how do we formulate things just right to be encouraging uh, moving forward and to, you know, not to lose meaning, but to preserve meaning and act efficiently. So one of my favorite things about this is there's an application that you have to fill out to go through the um, center to determine your financial eligibility. Well, after a little bit of thinking, we see that those questions line up almost perfectly for uh, inform a papyrus application. So the first thing that we did was, okay, we have a ton of overlapping questions. Why don't we just ask these questions one time in a very simple way? And then after we're done, populate both forms, the application to the center, determine your financial eligibility, and uh, have the Inform of Papyrus application ready to go in one swoop. It probably takes about 10 minutes to do that for somebody to sit down with a intake student and get the ball rolling that way was I, the, really the first thing that we did, and it looks to be promising. And that's actually a good point is that because this is being run as part of the clinic, there is assistance. They're not just being sort of planted in front of a computer monitor and told to, to fill it out. There is a human being that's there to assist them along the way. Yeah. yeah. And, and in the initial pilot phase, I mean, that's our goal is that, and especially because there's some legal aspects to it too, we don't want somebody out there on their own feeling like they just have, it's like doing your tax return with TurboTax without any guidance, right? So, you know, we want to make sure that there's some assistance out there. And, you know, in the initial phase, that's how we're going to pilot it. They're going to work with a student in the clinic and hopefully that will grow. Maybe we'll have additional volunteer attorneys that want to help with that intake process because it really is just a an interview, like, and you type it into the computer and, and off you go. Eventually, we do think that this could get to a phase where it is usable by an outside individual on their own. Like, where it's being designed in a manner like it can be deployed on a library computer because we are keeping that tech divide aspect in mind. So as we're designing it, that's being considered. The questions we're asking are being considered. Like, you know, when we say, like, my favorite is on, on the the informal papyrus, the fee waiver forms that you have to fill out for when you do any fee waiver in, in Pennsylvania is like, how many CDs do you have? Well, like I'm a child of the eighties. I think that's a disc you put into a music box, not a, not an they're, actual. They're, they're getting out their 50 sleeve uh, CD, CD pack. Exactly. Morgan, Morgan won't understand that, but I get it. 
<laughs> I actually asked Kate, I'm like, the CD thing that's listed under finances, is that a typo? <laughs> Do it though. That, I mean, that, that is actually, that's a great point though, because, you know, here you are pursuing a PhD and you're asking that question. And if you don't, it's all about vocabulary, right? Like if you're not exposed to these things, it doesn't mean you're not intelligent. It just means you don't know the you don't know the verbiage that you have to do to get through it, and because you haven't been exposed to it, because you haven't had a reason to up until that point. And so, I think it's really interesting to hear how you guys are being cognizant of uh, of basically it doesn't have to look pretty from like a from a legal writing standpoint. It needs to be functional, and it needs to be able to translate into being presented before a you know a judicial body and lawyers. So you need to try to find that sweet spot of the language that everyone can understand and everyone can and it can be user friendly yeah and i think for me the the least favorite question that i see asked from the lawyer side to the pro se side is what's the nature of your claim doesn't sound more obfuscating than that right <laughs> is it wild is it domesticated you know i don't know <laughs> yeah and so tuning language to something you know you're really not going to lose meaning of like asking well what kind of case do you have you know example custody divorce etc and in that vein i, I want to i mean this is really interesting because i think i just hear a lot of potential of a program like this being able to translate into other areas of not just family law but but even other areas of law and, and we know that in family law we have a lot of pro se litigants practicing attorneys have cases in which the other side is pro se you are there in court and you see the, the long line of pro se individuals who are on the list with you. So there's obviously a need to try to, you know, everyone benefits from the, from the system being more efficient, from it not being clogged up because pro se litigants you know, didn't file the right form or didn't do X, Y, and Z, which when you do it every day is no big deal. But when it's your first time and maybe the only time in your life you're going through the process, it could be overwhelming. Have you guys, I mean, I know you're early in your project, project and you're focusing on this, but have you thought about other applications that this could lead to? Yeah, I, I mean, absolutely. And and so the clinic, and just to, in the in the family law world, so beyond um, appeals, what we're doing in our family law clinic, we're limited legal services. So we do a lot of assistance with motions for special relief. You know, okay, I have a vacation. The other side's not agreeing to let me go anymore. This is what our order says. Judge, can you put a Band-Aid on it? And I think, you know, the same kind of methodology we're going through in creating this program could easily be transitioned into something like, oh, you have a motion for special relief. Let's explain this in layman terms, but create a product that a judge is going to understand. And I think, you know, we run into issues like these things probably will always have to be reviewed by a lawyer, something like that, just from the ethical standpoint. But there's a lot of transition between, you know, there are very set procedures and, and process for an appeal. That happens in every area of law. So I think really whether it's family law or even civil, like a civil complaint could easily be developed in the same kind of manner. You know, if it's, a, let's say it's red car, blue car, right? There are certain things that are always going to be in that kind of complaint. Can we use a program like this to to do that as well? And I, I do think it's there. I think the, the process is though, we've got to build it, test it, see how it goes. And that's why, you know, in the pilot phase, we're doing it with our students because we're hoping to work out the kinks as we go. Gotcha. So as this gets rolling along, tell us a little bit about where you envision the pro bono attorney coming into coming into play and, you know, and, and what part of the process? 
So right now the program's designed that once they, their income, the, the actual pro bono existing product. So like not considering our, our um, program that we're working on, how it works is the person gets deemed financially eligible and then they fill out the application and that goes to a family law lawyer to review it for, for merit, which, you know, our public access policy made it a little bit more complicated in Pennsylvania because you can't see dockets anymore and see what's going on. So you're really relying on that application. From there, it would then go to a volunteer attorney at one of the, the partners um, through a, you know, the Pittsburgh Pro Bono Partnership and um, the Pro Bono Center from the Bar Association. And they would take it on and then just do their notice of appeal, concise statement, and run with it. Our goal is we'll use the students to do the, um, at least initially, do the financial clearances, making sure they're financially available, making sure that those initial things that would kick a case out you know, it's a final order of court. It's not a final order of court. Okay, here's some other resources for you, pro bono litigant, to go talk to somebody to see, you know, what your next step is. Is it timely? You know, if they're coming to us on day 60 after the order's been entered, okay, it's not timely. Again, here's a resource to go go talk to somebody about, is this right for modification or something like that? So the students will work with that, get that process done, and then the application. All of this material will be you know, the application will be formalized and prepared, but also all of the data that's entered will be available to the reviewing attorney. And so as long as the reviewing attorney gives it a thumb up, which should be pretty easy because all of the information they didn't have before should be there, then they would pretty much kick it right out to the volunteer attorneys and then they take it from there with drafting, really double checking the notice of appeal, double checking the concise statement after their interview, filing it, and then they can just go right into the briefing process. Gotcha. So, so really just teeing it up for the attorney. And once it's handed off to them, sort of you guys, that's where your, your role ends, I assume at that point, And you guys go on to help the next person. You know, beyond the question of whether something can be automatically generated, I, there's a, there is a plethora of work that has been done in AI and law on automatically drafting contracts. Whether or not something can automatically be done is a different question. I think for our purposes, in terms of something that would go to a reviewing attorney, is really getting the ball started uh, as best as we can. And the output phase, as I described earlier, currently contains a little question and answering algorithm to sort out what kind of issue you might have. You know, Do we have a jurisdictional issue? Uh, do we have a best uh, interest of the child? You know, something like that. Can we at least using clever question answering get to the bottom of what kind of issue that you might have? And from there, you know, it's easy to populate a form containing well-drafted doctrine on that particular area of the law. And of course, ethically, before anything would be filed, a lawyer would, you know, have to look at it, investigate it a little bit further. But going back to the, the mantra behind this thing, a lot of the work is already done. Right. And everyone benefits because from the volunteer attorney standpoint, a lot of the legwork has already been done. It's uh, frankly makes it more efficient with their time. And I guess the other point that just comes to mind is that I, I know that for technology, some attorneys are more resistant to it. Some counties are more resistant to it. I can think of a place that still uses carbon paper. We're a slowly evolving industry, really. But the one thing that always strikes me is despite all the machine learning and all the algorithms and all these things, at the end of the day, it's going to be people that are going to be practicing law. And then they're going to be the ones that are going to be arguing before the appellate court, interacting with the client. It can't just be fully automated. But what you guys are describing is just a way, is a, really a tool 
which is going to help make that process a little bit more streamlined. And, you know, as an attorney, you have an ethical duty to offer pro bono services. And this is a great way to help make that volunteering just more efficient and, and more effective, frankly, without having to spend a lot of time getting up and running on something and trying to, I mean, everyone, anyone that does appellate work knows that timing is critical to being able to jump in and get your hands around things quickly and still have enough time to produce your briefing, get everything you need to do for the appeal going. It can be a very concentrated period of time that you have to get all that. And it sounds like what you're doing is really just helping to bring a little bit more breathing room, no matter where it comes into the process. And I think even like psychologically, perhaps one might feel a little bit better about getting into something. If you know that the process has already started, you don't have to come up with this from scratch. You know, we're asking you to make cookies and we've given you dough, not flour and water. That is really important, too, for attorneys on the other end might feel a little bit more comfort knowing that they just don't have to come up with this out of nowhere. And, and listen, everyone has everyone's busy. Everyone has their practices uh, that they have to maintain and, and keep their hands around. Is this something that, you know, this is a really interesting project. Is this something that's just limited to Allegheny County lawyers that you're partnering with? I know you mentioned the legal aid societies, but are there ways for lawyers in other parts of the state to be of assistance to this program, to be resources for the appellate work if they're interested? So as of right now, it's it's an Allegheny County project because that's where this appellate project was piloted years ago. But it's being done in a way that we're hopeful that it can be transitioned to any county. So if we have in Philadelphia, right, we talked to, to the Bar Association out there and they want to get this project started there. The model exists. We just have to, to ship over the stuff. And, and I know there's quite a few family law clinics in that area because I, I know a lot of the family law clinicians out in the Philly area. So there is the potential to just really expand this because that's the benefit of appellate work, right? The law doesn't really change across the, the Commonwealth. So, yeah, it absolutely. And I mean, especially here, you know, in the Western District, hopefully this will then get out into the, the counties where the law schools aren't, right? You know, I mean, Butler's easy to get to from Allegheny County. Westmoreland's easy to get to, but Erie, it's a little harder. So, you know, could we partner with the Bar Association up there and say, look, you guys have this coming in, send it our way, we'll clear it. Do you have some volunteer attorneys? Great. We'll start working from there. One thing, too, is we want this to work in such a way, because currently the volunteer attorneys that draft the work in Allegheny County, they're not necessarily family lawyers. And I think, you know, we all know as as individuals practicing in family law, uh, we get asked to do a lot of pro bono because that's where there's a lot of need. And it's not that other attorneys don't want to do it. It's just they don't practice in it every day like we do. So I think the benefit of, like Morgan said, teeing it all up, getting all the information there, having it a little bit more digestible makes it a great project for volunteer attorneys who maybe practice you know, criminal law or personal injury regularly to like, hey, I'll, I'll take on a, a custody appeal because it's all teed up in a nice little package and ready to ready to be reviewed and go. Right. I mean, it's a, it's a great point because I do think at some level, if you are comfortable in trial and you have in your, you know, some form of litigator, you know, of which I would say criminal defense attorneys and our litigators as well, just in a different way. If you can do appeal work, it's it does have a certain leveling effect of both the pr- procedure and the approach. So that's that's a great point to make on, on that front. And it's, it certainly sounds like the program is you're, you're envisioning it as being a scalable program, which could be extended out. And as you said, being able to be in a library or being able to be at the Bar Association, like being able to be accessible to wherever we are, because there are a lot of small counties in our in our Commonwealth and that don't always have the same resources or, frankly, budgets to be able to offer some of these services on a, that, that take a lot of man hours. 
the design certainly is to be easily um, set up by smaller counties. And as uh, being born and raised in Jefferson County, Pennsylvania, I can assure you that small counties like that with limited resources, I think certainly would be able to benefit from something like this. And so that's, yeah, you're right. That's not lost on what we're trying to do. And it's going to help that system because it's going to help divert some of those pro bono cases away from some of the resources that it would normally take up in a county like that. So it's a great point. Now, we're taping this on Thursday the 10th. We're coming off of a uh, off an election of which our attorney general has been elected to governor. So Josh Shapiro will be our, our incoming governor. Just out of curiosity, as having you know a governor that's coming from that role, do you guys foresee any public interest issues that might come to the fore that uh, that we might not have seen before? Do you, have you thought about what might be prioritized with a governor with that kind of background when it comes to access to justice? Because you know Josh Shapiro was very active in in trying to uh, bridge some of the gaps in different types of uh, fraud and other other crimes. Any thoughts on that? I'm hopeful. You know, it's always good when someone who understands that the issues that are at play is in a role like that, because I think not only does it make, you know, potentially funding or other things like that available, but just awareness from a position. I mean, with our family law clinic, there's only so much reach we have. I, you know, my students can go out into the county. We can do work locally. We can do work either in, in all of, you know, Western Pennsylvania. But the more noise that's made, I think the more traction we get. So, you know, I'm hopeful that having an individual who understands the issues of access will just kind of continue to further the work. So is there any takeaway or anything you want to leave with our listeners about your program or ways that they can help? So one thing I'll say, if, if anyone's interested in helping or maybe even bringing it out to their county, we're, so we're in the pilot phase. We have a, was our soft deadline, something like March, Morgan, is that where we want it really, at least the, the down and dirty version of it will be ready to go to be launched by whether it's clinics or volunteer attorneys at pro bono programs. So if anyone's interested, we'd love them to reach out to us. You know, we're, we're going to be training my clinic students to use kind of the, the pilot version soon, but that doesn't mean we can't train lawyers too. So uh, absolutely reach out to us. And if anyone has ideas of how they want to kind of continue this work, we'd love to hear them too, because that's the one thing that's the best part about this work is we're sharers. So, you know, we're happy to to talk about other ideas and share and and there is funding grant there is grant money out there for this kind of work. So I think as ideas come, once you have a project in mind and their ideas come, you know, there's always those opportunities too. So we'd love to see people kind of pick up the mantle and run with it too. Great. Well, listen, thank you so much for your time today. This has really been interesting. And for those that are listening, if you are interested in participating or getting in touch with Kate or Morgan, we'll have their contact information in the show notes. And thank you both for coming on today. Thank you. Thank you. This was thank great you. so much. Appreciate it, thank guys. You. Take care. Thank you for joining me today on the Law and the Family podcast. I hope you got something out of our discussion today with Catherine Norton and Morgan Gray. Please be sure to check out the show notes for ways to contact them and to participate in their pro bono program that they're launching in Allegheny County. Please feel free to contact me for any show ideas, topics, or to be involved with the podcast. Thanks for listening. Law and the Family is a production of the Pennsylvania Bar Association Family Law Section. To learn more or to join the section, visit the Pennsylvania Bar Association website at pabar.org. And be sure to follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And to catch up on every episode, join us at anchor.fm slash family. A reminder that nothing in this podcast should be taken as legal advice for any individual case or situation. This information is not intended to create an attorney-client relationship. The opinions expressed are those of 
the hosts and the guests and don't necessarily represent those of the Pennsylvania Bar Association. Thanks for listening and tune in for future podcasts.